Welcome into Loserville, folks. Uh, crew show today. Tyler and Philip back with you. Um, hot enough for you? It's a little warm. Been a little warm. Luckily, you know, the grid has uh, stayed running. Uh, you know, we've only had to, you know, increase pollution uh, by a lot and, you know, sell our souls to the energy companies, but the grid still stays, uh, stays going strong. The, um, you know, every time I post about how, what a disaster electric deregulation has been in Texas, my good friend, friend of the show, former mayor Matthew Marchant of Carrollton, uh, is quick to point out that the overwhelming champion of electric deregulation in the House, lo these many years ago, was Steve Wolins, Democrat from Dallas. Mm -hmm. And uh, Steve is a very good friend. He has represented me in litigation. He's a very, very talented lawyer and one of the smartest political minds I've ever run across. But uh, Marchant's got a point. That's a massive fuck up. <laughs> yeah, not great, not great. Uh, you know, deregulation, others call it freedom. You know, the freedom of your, your grid to fail. You know, one of the funniest things that when I am out recruiting, students will come up and they'll be like, so where's your school, Indiana? It's cold there, right? And I said, yeah. The thing about Indiana though, we do have a functioning electrical grid. We don't have to worry about the power going off in the summer or the winter, uh, which, you know, as it goes, is not, you know, a bad thing. Well, and I'm sure you've seen the map. Um, El Paso didn't fall for this yeah, that's bullshit. Right. That's right. <laughs> and so they have reliable power while the rest of us are uh, either freezing in the dark or having heat stroke in the, in the blazing sunshine. Whichever, uh, whichever disaster befalls us. Hey, the good news is, though, uh, Joe Manchin is going to keep us from having to realize the horrors of climate change. So, uh, you know, it's a local politics show. <laughs> I, 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 I don't have the time with the I know. I know both of us are fascinated by. I may have had a grim tweet today. Um, the uh, when I heard that Joe Biden had COVID. I I knew the first three or four. I think I knew the first four in the presidential line of succession. So I was going to try to see whether COVID could actually improve the U.S. government, and it cannot. There is there is basically no chance. So if you want to if you want to if you want a a wry laugh, if you want gallows humor, go look at the Wikipedia entry on presidential succession and see that uh, COVID's going to have to take an awful lot of the country's top leadership before we get actually somebody better than Joe Biden. Which uh, is a sad state of affairs for where things are. Right? So I'm, I'm cheering yeah. for Joe Biden's health uh, in a way that I probably started off the day not get thinking I would, I would be that big an advocate for him. I was, th I was wondering if, you know, if... Uh, so the I have a friend who was has been celebrating COVID, which just sounds like a funny thing to say, but he was convinced that it would it was going to relieve us of the boomers, mm. and unfortunately, he was wrong about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, boomers. the uh, The show is not actually against you. It's just that the decisions you've made have left us uh, living in Loserville. <laughs> 
Um, okay, uh, show notes, uh, signposting. We were supposed to have our special guest today, and she had to cancel last minute because of family obligations. She will be in next week, and we will be giving T.C. Broadnax his annual review. I have also figured out a little bit more about the attempted palace coup, uh, and I believe I have a grand unified theory of what happened um, that is going to... I don't know. You, you'll hear it next week, and you can react to it however you want to. Shock and amaze. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah, I did a lots of good, fun, uh, deep dive of research, including I got to read TC's last uh, performance evaluation from when he was in Tacoma, because uh, you know Washington State actually believes in public transparency and posting such things. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean he had pretty pretty glowing reviews there. Then I got to go into a deep dive of sort of like the National Association of City Managers and their boilerplate uh, for what as personnel evaluation looks like and the metrics at which a city manager should be evaluated on. And, um, you know, when we had gone through sort of the, our own, you know, quick review of the, the situation, I think we felt like the idea of getting rid of TC sucked in as much as we felt like Eric Johnson would have an outsized influence on who the new city manager would be. And so complaints about TC sort of pale in comparison to what we think the greater evil would be, i.e. Eric Johnson having more power. That said, uh, he definitely does have some areas that uh, could probably be bookmarked needs improvement on his personnel evaluation. And we will cover all of them in excruciating detail next week with our special surprise guest, who I still can't believe agreed to do it. Um, we are sitting at uh, Kingston Manor, um, enjoying a nice Sauvignon Blanc, but we are not disturbing Melissa Kingston uh, right now because she is at uh, the City Plan Commission hearing for today, and they are hearing the Elm Thicket Neighborhood Stabilization Overlay. Um, Elm Thicket is a neighborhood um, west of the toll road, north of Mockingbird, south of Lovers, as you're headed to Love Field. Um, some people have tried to rebrand it the Bird Streets, and the old school people over there very much object to that, uh, that name. Um, and the fight is between the old school people and the new people. Uh, it is a neighborhood primarily black and more and more Latino, historically black, uh, now majority Latino, um, lots of small houses, post-war houses um, built for the working class that because of their proximity to Love Field and because the city's crime situation, whatever you want to call it, improved, the property over there became worth a ridiculous amount of money. What follows is very typical gentrification, knocking down these old houses and building absolutely massive monster new houses on these lots, many of which are undersized compared to other single family neighborhoods. Um, the urbanist 
uh, perspective doesn't really care about large lot sizes. In fact, we probably prefer smaller lot sizes. But in Dallas's official policy of single family development, 7,500 feet is supposed to be the minimum lot size and some of these lots are not that big. And so um, houses that, so talk about like, if, if we're thinking back to the pre-housing um, bubble uh, in the hot market prior to 2008, the original housing over there was going for maybe a hundred bucks a square foot. Uh, and with the modest size of the houses, those were accessible houses, good starter houses for people. And for uh, aging Latino residents or black residents, uh, the tax burden was not kicking them out of their neighborhood. That has uh, radically changed. New houses over there frequently sell for more than a million dollars. Um, the price per square foot um, for the new stuff is uh, probably north of 300 a foot at this point. And it has created a situation we've where, that we've tried to avoid in East Dallas, but it happens sometimes. When an area is so hot um, for development, you can in, you can find a situation in which your 1,300 square foot original house actually loses value because no one wants it as a house. They want to tear it down, and so your house becomes worth zero, and your land is where all your value is. So it, this is not great. Um, these lots are selling for enough money that the families that own them are not going to be destitute. Um, but some families over there were renting, as often happens in urban infill neighborhoods, and there is no replacement housing for those people when their landlord decides to sell to a uh, builder. So they are discussing at Plan Commission today whether to uh, implement a tool called a neighborhood stabilization overlay that just define some very basic ideas about the neighborhood. It, it, it uh, regulates front yard setbacks, which are extremely important if you have a neighborhood that's built. Everybody, if everybody's built 35 or 40 feet from the property line, uh, the city code says you can build 25 feet from the property line in single family zoned neighborhoods that don't have any other form of zoning protection. And so when somebody does that and builds a you know 4,000 square foot house 25 feet from the property line in an old neighborhood, uh, don't be that person. <laughs> I mean, no, no one really knows whether living in a million dollar house turns you into an asshole or whether assholes buy million dollar houses, but there, there is correlation between million dollar houses and assholes. Um, Yes, we're sitting in a million dollar house. So feel feel free to point that out. Um, too late, I'm already self-aware. The So the, the issue with the neighborhood stabilization overlay is it regulates like front yard setback, height, can regulate a couple other things, whether you have a front facing garage door, which um, a lot of people don't understand why that's frowned upon, but it's because we feel like those features in a house prevent people from interacting with their neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, but the NSO is a very light uh, series of regulations. It won't affect any of the 
the large houses that have already been built and it will still allow for rather large houses to be built over there it's not really going to affect too much but it the the fight has become incredibly vicious uh it breaks down largely on racial lines although i will say my best friend who lives in that neighborhood uh is a a new resident a new guy and a white guy who is siding with the Latinos and blacks who have asked for this kind of protection. Um, and this is not strictly racial. There are older white people over there too who are fighting for protection. And there are people in original houses who don't see the point of this and don't want it. So I, it, none of this is monolithic. I'm just trying to give you the outline. But this is the kind of thing that I had hoped in the revision of Dallas's comprehensive land use plan, the forward Dallas plan, that we would just hand this kind of protection to every single family neighborhood in Dallas so that they didn't have to have fights like this because this is, there are gonna be relationships that never recover from this. People are being so mean. And if, you know, we're not watching the video, but we can later, um, you, the, the people are making very gross assumptions about each other. You know, when groups break down and there's conflict, you start to think the worst of the other side, and that is coming forth in buckets in this case. And I don't know, man, it's just sad. It, it's sad when, it's sad that the city of Dallas can't figure out a way to transition neighborhoods that allows for aging in place, um, that allows for uh, greater harmony and that protects people's basic interests. The, the fact that the code doesn't prevent somebody from building a sheer wall with no windows five feet from your bedroom, that's a problem with the code. We, we, we could do better. Yeah, right. And this is one of those fascinating things that cities uh, you know, get to deal with all the time when you have those sort of competing interest you know on the one hand I think it would be easy to say uh, for folks you know that neighborhood is lost uh, right that the places are already too expensive for the families that live there people have had to, to move on to other things right or have gotten price, priced out of, of being there what might have been an ancestral home or whatever you know to the extent and I guess that's the sort of devil's advocate question right is you know what does a stabilization plan do now to prevent things from being worse in a situation that's already not great and is it worth engendering sort of the hard feelings in a neighborhood um, and I guess you know the counter argument to that as well if you give up that fight uh, right well you just screw everybody as opposed to trying to make things some things a little bit better for some people well the the thing it will deliver hopefully is greater compatibility between the new structures and the old structures and that's essentially what the NSO is designed for. It's not meant to stop development at all. Um, it, it doesn't have a demolition standard. Mm -hmm. You can still get a demolition permit for anything in the neighborhood with relative ease. And um, I, I think the other thing it does is that it organizes a group of older, longer term residents, older is the wrong word, longer term residents, into a group that then will have political power. Once you're organized, you have political power. 
And with regard to the aging populace, once they hit 65, the city of Dallas actually does a very nice job of freezing city taxes. Mm -hmm. It would be nice if the other taxing entities in the region did that also, but um, there's less danger of running granny out of her house um, than there could be. Mm -hmm. um, we increase the exemption for seniors twice now. Um, so the first X dollars of their valuation is not taxed at all. Mm -hmm. um, now, given the given the valuations over there, that ain't protecting anybody. Yeah. You know, that's not going to eliminate anybody's tax bill. It's just going to take a little sting out of it. But um, between an exemption and a freeze, maybe we're doing an okay job of keeping Granny in her house. Particularly if Granny knows to ask for the. Uh, repair assistance that council has continued to fund over the years um, to try to make sure that there's not a code compliance reason that granny gets booted out of her house. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. Are there other areas in town in Philip in your time in the council where th th something like this has been done and has worked well? Yeah, I think you can look at La Bajada. Um, when the city handed um, heaping bags of cash to Phil Romano and Roger Staubach and a few other developers in the Trinity Groves area. Um, the, the closest neighborhood is called La Bajada. Um, it's the it's a, just south of there, <laughs> down by Moore Park, there's a, there's a black neighborhood called The Bottom. And La Bajada is more or less Spanish for The Bottom. Um, the low place and uh, it, it, it that so when when development started over there seriously the developers were trying to buy up La Bajada with the idea of changing the zoning mm -hmm. um, to do more intense development there probably multifamily um, and the a, a friend of ours a guy named Eloy Trevino was working with the Dallas Homeowners League at the time um, went in and got a neighborhood stabilization overlay for that neighborhood. And when I say got one, he organized those neighbors. Um, most, a lot of them Spanish only. Um, and so it, it, it presented a challenge. And I think that if people drive La Bajada today, they can see some new houses, um, but they see largely uh, families remaining in place and and you know historically black and Latino families have been a lot more possessive of granny's house than white people right um, and it, it means more culturally I think probably when you were prohibited from living in other parts of town too right didn't help but yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah. That, that's a big part of it. Yeah. You had one toehold in the city and God help you if you lost it. Um, but, you know, it, it, I mean, if my parents wanted me to live in their house, no, thank you. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's a it's a tool that can work, but I think it's a tool that needs to be just in the mix for single family development of all varieties and just there already because it's not a big deterrent to development. It shapes what the development winds up looking like. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, I think that's a, a smart play. Typically, 
you know, a historic district that has a demolition standard where you're really trying to stop people from tearing anything down, that's appropriate for some neighborhoods, but definitely not all, you know? And as the city grapples with the future of single family housing, these stabilization overlays actually preserve some buildable land for multiple unit lots. For instance, like a garage apartment. Uh, or if we were to go whole hog, uh, what Portland, I think Portland did this last week where they went to four units per lot uh, by right, amazing i think i think uh minneapolis has also done this um i don't see dallas doing that anytime soon but we neighborhoods that have original structures will have a, a greater opportunity for that kind of uh, urban infill density yeah. and this is you know they're really nuts and bolts of uh i think the affordability crisis or housing crisis is probably the biggest issue facing the city of Dallas currently, right? It seems to be the one where there's so many conversations happening in multiple places and does go to this sort of, you know, urbanist conversation about like ultimately what a kind of a city do we want to live in uh, and what do we want neighborhoods to look like and how can we make this work for the people that are continuing to move to Texas. Interestingly, not moving to Dallas uh, County. I don't know if you saw, we were the only uh, county in the Dallas, Tarrant, Collin, uh, Denton that lost people last year, um, which was an interesting thing. I guess probably part of this flight to the suburbs, um, I would think. But that uh, I know the affordability crisis is very real, uh, and I think the city is going to have a really hard time trying to wrap their their hands around it. The affordability crisis. I don't think that there is a great amount of debate over whether that is the biggest urban problem in America yeah, right now. Yeah. I think that's, it, okay, you can make an argument that the affordability crisis is an income crisis and that really what we ought to be doing is increasing the incomes of people whose incomes are too low to afford housing. And I, I buy into that. That's that's right in my liberal wheelhouse and I'm happy to talk about it. I don't think it's on the verge of being solved in that way by giving people more money. Um, so the second best thing is to supply affordable housing. And we have a panoply of both supply side and demand side incentives for affordable housing. In Texas, we run into a severe problem because the state legislature years ago uh, prohibited cities from requiring developers to include affordable housing in their developments. Uh, and so the way we've gotten around that is we've offered them zoning incentives that they can't access unless they do offer affordable housing. And, you know, it, the whole the whole the whole nut to crack is how does everybody make money off of housing people who don't have enough money to pay for their own housing. Sounds like a convoluted problem because it is a convoluted problem because we don't want to address the income problem. So if you're not gonna address the income problem, definitely affordability of housing is the biggest crisis facing urban areas and it is a true crisis. I've been trying to lease one of our units in the last couple of weeks and every time I do this, I have the same a uh, very grim reaction to the number of people who are out there shopping for a normal ass apartment 
This is a 625 square foot 2-1 in Mount Auburn, priced well below the 80% AMI affordability threshold that HUD has set. And uh, I talked to so many people who do not have the income to afford that apartment. Um, that's that it really, even like roommates together are needing their parents to sign on the lease in order to afford the apartment. This really bothers me. It's not fun. Yeah, tremendous problem, right? And I even, you know, and I shared this, I think, on the, the podcast a couple months ago. But, you know, when I was searching for my uh, new apartment, you know, I make good money. Uh, but man, even finding, and, you know, Philip gives me a hard time. I gave up an apartment that was really affordable, very cheap. Uh, and part of that was just like, I can afford more than this. This option needs to be out there for somebody that, that needs to have a cheaper place. If I believed in God, I would, I, I would uh, support you for sainthood. <laughs> You're very kind. You're very kind. <laughs> Um, yeah. if, it, if it turns out there is a God, I hope he really does something good for you. That's, we, we, yeah, yeah. If he, well, he already has. <laughs> um, yeah, fascinating things that, that cities have to, to figure out how to balance. Um, I think, I don't know, we can't read the tea leaves too much. I assume this is probably going to pass. I read the tea leaves that it is going to pass. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Moreno is the council member for that district. I know that he is supportive of the NSO. Um, he's also just a natural uh, mediator. So I know he's been working like a dog to try to bridge some of the gap and try to ameliorate some of the hard feelings. Um, Nobody likes that, but people who are particularly sensitive to trying to um, have community, which I think Jesse particularly is, uh, a, a coalition builder, a community builder, this kind of stuff is not, he does not enjoy this, this level of conflict. And it truly has gone beyond any reasonable level. Like there... Uh, Pretty, yeah, Facebook groups, weird memes, very mean rhetoric. And questioning each other's motives yeah. and who's behind this and all this stuff that is just, to me, totally unnecessary. And I'm a guy who doesn't believe in coincidences. I'm like, I'm, I'm as skeptical as you can probably get while still having most of your marbles, you know? And I don't, I just don't see any uh, bad faith operation on either side, really. Um, so I don't understand the the need for all the the meanness. Yeah. Next step after plan commission is it would go to council, right? Yeah. 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 So it'll. Uh, I think it will pass plan commission. I would. My guess is that this actually winds up unanimous at plan commission. Um, at council, I don't know. But I think Jesse wins it. He's supportive and so should should work. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I don't know what else is going on in the city of Dallas. The mayor is pushing for SMU to join the SEC. What is that? <laughs> is he pushing for them to join the SEC or the I'm Big not 12? Not specifically. I just think a bigger... I think, yeah, bigger I think he's targeting... the. People are talking about the Big 12, but I, you know, to me, it instantly made me think, oh, yeah... Um, I can totally see 
a, a late fall contest between Bama and uh, SMU. That's right, the ponies, the Pony Express. At, at Ford Field. Can you imagine? <laughs> Like it's how much is that seat like six thousand or something? Not very big, and not named after uh, President Gerald Ford. No, 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 no. Much richer Gerald Ford. Much richer yeah. Gerald Ford than that one. Uh, yeah, the Eric Johnson. I sent it to you when I read it on. Uh, I guess it came out on Saturday. It was published in the paper on Sunday. But uh, Eric, so the mayor wrote uh, an editorial that a whole ass editorial that was in the Dallas Morning News advocating for SMU place in a, a bigger conference, um, which continues this strange fascination that the with a Bar- school that isn't Dallas in Dallas for yeah, a school that is not in uh, Dallas. So I guess part of it is the part that's across the street from uh, the other side of 75 from the main campus is technically in Dallas. Right? Some of it is. But there is a little, like a little sliver. There's a little sliver of University Park that's on the yeah. east side of 75. And there's a little sliver of Dallas that's on the west side over there. And I have, I did, like when I first got elected, I was like, oh, well, let's swap. No, 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 no. University Park has put all (laughs) of the public facility stuff that it doesn't need its citizens to have access to on the Dallas side. And they're not interested in trading whatsoever. Yeah, Yeah. that's shocking. Yeah. So, I, I mean, is this internally generated by Eric uh, this fascination with trying to make moves in the sports world well I I think that's what I think he's trying to do is get on the board that we've had that discussion many times but is him bringing this like what has he put more effort into than writing a whole ass essay about SMU's conference alignment bringing another NFL team to Dallas right uh, it's also so, very weird. Well, I'm keeping the Cowboys in there. Oh, wait, they, they aren't here. They aren't here. Uh, well, the Rangers, but they're also not in Dallas. <laughs> so is is this internally generated by Eric? He thinks this is something he's just very interested in. He really thinks it's best for the city. Does he think this is resonating with voters? Does he have polling that shows that this is... Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. I mean, I, you know, SMU, great university, right? Uh, you know, the football program is it? really good in the 1980s uh, when they were cheating, like everybody else. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's, a, it's such a Oh, no, they cheated way worse than everybody else. I could understand it, I guess, if Dallas were, you know, a backwater place that nobody had heard of and that this, you know, the, the local university joining a larger conference was some ticket to achieve greater things, right? I could almost understand a mayor's fascination with something like that. But, uh, I mean, you know, Dallas uh, is one of the largest cities in the country. The Metroplex is one of the largest places in the Like, I, the eyes of the sports world are not going to ignore Dallas if SMU remains a member of, you know, the American conference, right? Like, it's, I, it's a very it's very weird to me. I just, I, I just don't get it, and I I don't see calls from SMU administration for this. The football coach at SMU has never mentioned this that I'm aware of. Listeners, he's on Eric's uh, committee, or he was at the early fundraiser. Oh, excellent! The new coach, Rhett Lashley. 
So it's a very I, Texas football name. It's pretty good. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. I like it. Um, the uh, so anyway, listeners, please correct me if I'm wrong. I this seems to be wholly generated out of the mayor's office, and I, I'm accepting all conspiracy theories about why he's doing this. It, to me, the average municipal voter is a little hard to define. Um, in in northern Dallas, um, we think they're wealthy and white and very, very addicted to police violence. Um, the in, in southern Dallas, black municipal voters tend to be female and older um, and extremely community oriented, church oriented. Um, White liberals living in the urban infill um, tend to vote in municipal. None of these groups that I'm talking about, I think, are going to be particularly moved by the conference alignment of SMU. Now, generally speaking, they want the water to come on when they turn the, the faucet, and they would like it to be clean and not kill them, right? They don't want to see... Homeless people anywhere they, they for, any reason. for any reason. Yeah, they would rather pretend they don't exist at all. Uh, they would like their streets and sidewalks uh, to be maintained. Uh, but they're not willing to pay for it. Yeah. And they are willing to pay for making sure that they see a police car in their neighborhood every day. Yes. Whether yeah. there's any need for it or not. Generally speaking, that's a pretty... Yeah, but none of those things involve... SMU playing a different athletic. I'm just. I it's don't. It's a very weird thing. I don't understand it either. Um, I, I don't see the. So, it, you know, you and I are both former elected officials. You start to see things in terms of political impact, and the political impact of this is very obscure to me. I, I, I don't. I would love for the mayor to explain, not just the reasons for. Uh, advocating for SMU to join the Big 12 or a bigger conference, but his political calculus for bringing this up now. When we have so many, I mean, it was funny. So uh, the last episode when I was angry about 345, uh, you know, my prior uh, conniption fit was about when he had posted about, you know, his special commission he was creating to keep sports teams in Dallas. And, you know, on the list of problems that we face as a city, you know, that's just so far down the list of things that the mayor of Dallas should be worried about that it doesn't even, it shouldn't be, it, it shouldn't make any list of the top things that, that uh, the mayor should be concerned about, right? Um, and has he ever talked about housing? No, I don't think so. I don't think he's ever talked about housing. I don't think he's ever talked about police uh, violence. Uh, so far, it's been like defund the bureaucracy because people get paid too much. Uh, trying to fire the city manager, uh, the summer of safety. Appointing Lynn McBee to be the workforce, workforce czar. czar. We don't know what that means. Um, yeah. Though we, with the Alex Express, uh, we saw Eric Johnson ran in 2019 on a tremendous public safety campaign. Did you? I saw that you had posted about that today. That was uh, uh, very interesting. Well, um, I mean, he had to talk about public safety a lot, I guess, because Scott Griggs was forcing him to. But I don't. But he didn't really. He just he just basically hand waved it and said that's not not an issue. Uh, so the Dallas Express obviously 
listeners will have read uh, Stephen Monicelli's exposés of the AstroTurf Dallas Express, which is a Monty Bennett production. Uh, that that is that is the rich white guy uh, pretending to be a black-owned paper. It's very strange, um, and you know I, I was very involved in the Griggs campaign, um, and I did not agree with Scott's emphasis on the police. Um, still don't. Am right as usual. I'm right. Um, but he identified specific issues with policing and said, we need to fix these. And Eric Johnson said, no, we don't. It's not an issue. And so for the Dallas Express, which is not a real publication, it's just a fucking made up thing. But even for anybody to, to claim that he had run on public safety, it's banana pants. Yeah, which it was funny. Uh, their uh, Twitter bio uh, talks about their great fact-based reporting, and that seems to be a uh, alternative fact. That was the invoked term, right, of uh, Kelly yeah. Conway. Alternative. You know, there are facts, and then there are alternative. Alternative facts. facts. That yeah. seems to be an alternative fact. Um, though we are embarking on the summer of safety, I told Philip there's a billboard on I thirty uh, heading into downtown from East Dallas about the summer of safety. Who gave him a billboard? <laughs> Uh, so we should be able to find that out. Who yes. paid for that billboard? I know that the city did not pay for that billboard. The summer of safety. Uh, I feel so safe this summer. I feel like I'm going to die <laughs> of the heat. What, how, what is he doing about that? <laughs> well, we probably have cooling centers in some places, maybe. Uh, have you seen any? Uh, not that they posted about <laughs> milk, but I'm sure that they're out there, probably. Well, I hope so, because I keep seeing homeless people, and I keep thinking, oh, my God, that well, person's going to die. Well, we're busy homeless people out of their encampments. Yeah, we're sweeping encampments during the worst heat we've experienced <laughs> in years. What, what, are, what is wrong with us? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's just that vacant lot that they were occupying really needed to be cleaned up immediately. So one of them is owned by a friend of mine. Um, and you see the one that was quoted in the paper that was like, uh, I don't really care about the city's been on me to do this. And so like they had to do it. Did you see that quote? I didn't see that quote. Yeah. Was it Stephanie Kyle? That might be the name. Yeah. I have to go back and, and see. But one of the folks was basically like, I own the land, uh, but the city's been on my ass about this. And so like they came in and, and did it. Well, apparently one of the, I think they used code compliance people mostly to do this, and one of the one of the employees was apparently so upset about being told to throw away people's belongings that he actually sought out our friend Monicelli to say uh, th this is not something I feel comfortable with. Um, whatever TC's four E's are, excellence. <laughs> Something, something. One of them's ethics, and I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. It's hard to keep track of TC's initiatives because we had the other ones uh, right from the uh, the piece in our time declaration. Oh yeah, uh, was, what the hell was that? Was that? Fast? It might have been fast, and I had lunch with a director level person at the city today, and there's a. Um, there's a professional development group that that uh, TC's chief of staff runs that has some other uh, acronym that 
basically this person said, once I heard the acronym name, I knew I would never go to that. <laughs> I need to see if I can find the, uh, the acronym. I did a quick Google search. The summer safety is what uh, came up first. Uh, real. That was the new one. Real. Real. Okay. Responsible, equitable, accountable, legitimate. Did, those seem aspirational when applied to the city of Dallas. <laughs> well, and, you know, that's and aspirations are good. That's why they're goals, right? All right. They're, uh, you know, if you don't reach for, you know, the stars. Um, fascinating times. Trent, what else is going on in? Do you know how TC signs all of his emails? No. Uh. In excellence. Interesting. Two words, not a compound word that he made up. Yeah. In excellence. In excellence. That's an odd. <laughs> very it's, odd. It's very, it's it's disturbing. It, it, it throws me off every time. <laughs> um, I'm trying. Yeah. What else has been going on in uh, in the Big D? I had something else I was going to bring to you. And I'm struggling. What did I see? You know, it, we're in a difficult time. I was hoping to be able to do the TC review today because July, it, the council's gone. And so a lot of things don't make news. And then, you know, the city obviously isn't covering City Hall in any particularly. Uh, uh, oh, of course, my lawsuit. I was going to blow my own horn. Oh, there you go. So, Naturally, yeah. Uh, you saw earlier this week, Jacob Vaughn in The Observer had a, piece, a very good piece on my litigation on behalf of uh, Gadbury uh, Construction Company. And the, the one thing that he didn't have in there that, um, that I was trying to figure out how to shoehorn in, but it's not really part of the, the story. It's, it's part of our story for the lawsuit, but maybe not part of the story about the trail is just that it's the same person who screwed up my McKinney Cole two-way conversion has screwed up this trail project that I helped raise money for. Yeah. So I'm just like, is, is she actually just going around trying to fuck up the stuff I did? And maybe. I mean, you do have enemies. I, I do have enemies, and I do tend to make everything about myself. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. It was very strange. Or they could be incompetent, right? Sometimes the Hanlon's razor yeah. never ascribed to malice yeah. that which can be adequately explained right. by incompetence. Yeah, that could be, you know, yeah. and the easier explanation is usually the correct one in my, although we talked about conspiratorial land earlier, but generally speaking, uh, <laughs> the, easier, the easier explanation is usually the one that makes makes more sense. Yeah, I saw that that got some, some play um, in the, in the goings-on of, of the city of Dallas. Um, Trying to think of what else is Indiana got to make the news uh, over this really what? wild abortion. Uh, oh, case. disgusting! Yeah, with our awful attorney general. It made me very sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, Indiana not painting itself well, and I guess Indiana was where they performed the abortion. Uh, so we're better than Ohio. That could be our new. Better than Ohio. <laughs> that could be the state's new slogan. Right? <laughs> Indiana, we're better than Ohio. Well, I have um, a very early preview um, 
that I can't provide a lot of details on because it, 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 from a competition standpoint, it needs to have some mystery around it. But I think this time next year, we are going to be talking confidently about um, a brand new development, uh, housing development um, in a part of Dallas that I would say during my entire time here, and I know some about the history of the, the neighborhood, I would say in its entire history has been considered uh, quite undesirable. Um, and I had, I, I had a long meeting today. I'll have a series of more meetings to see how viable this thing is. But I would say that on the horizon, there is some, there's some uh, suggestion of dawn in terms of the city's approach to housing people and not just affordable housing, but also, you know, we're missing housing in every segment actually. Um, and so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to see a part of the city that even its leaders have struggled to define in terms of development um, really start to blossom. Uh, and so that's just more to come. Oh, okay. I, I remember one other thing. I was driving, I had been driving around East Dallas for my whole life, it seems like. But, um, you know, Melissa and I develop property for affordable housing. And primarily what we're looking for is a category of zoning called MF2, multifamily two. Um, the basics of that are it's 40 units an acre, um, not very dense. Uh, the code is extremely perverse. It's set up so that you have to have a thousand square feet of land to build a one bedroom. And you have to have 1,250 square feet of land to build a two bedroom. And you have to have another 150 square feet of land for every bedroom beyond that. So the, it's, it's perverse in that it discourages family friendly housing. So. This is one of the things that Chad West, our friend, is working on. Um, it will be fixed soon. Um, soon in zoning time means within the next couple of years. Um, but I've been noticing that all these multifamily lots that we try to grab, a bunch of East Dallas was residential single family R75, the kind of stuff that is this neighborhood that we're sitting in right now that a lot of people who live in single family houses live in. And the city in the 60s rezoned a, a shit ton of that stuff to multifamily too, essentially dooming it for single family use in the future because eventually it's so much more valuable to be used for apartments. And even though that bothers people who are the longtime residents of those neighborhoods who whose voice was not heard, um, it will be a very valuable source of new housing for Dallas because we have limited urban infill sites of any size that could support like a 50 or 100 unit type mm -hmm. development. So we're looking at fives and sevens and sixes that those those unit counts on these lots throughout East Dallas, except it's not happening. Instead, these are being bought by builders 
they tear down whatever's there and they build luxury duplex mm -hmm. and they sell either side of the luxury duplex depending on the neighborhood you're in between 500,000 and 750,000 for each side um, it's easy to see why that makes money it's very hard to see why it makes more money than building a seven unit apartment building that then has a recurring income stream in the many tens of thousands of dollars, right? Um, it may be $100,000 for a seven unit deal. Um, so I did a little digging and the answer is way more obvious than I wanted it to be because I felt very dumb. Uh, duplexes get built under the international residential building code uh seven unit apartments get built under the international building code the reason that's different is the international building code incorporates all kinds of life safety stuff that you would want if you were renting an apartment in dallas right uh, so it's a good thing um, but there's a second aspect that's difficult getting a residential plan through the morass of permitting at the city of Dallas is hard, but relatively much easier than getting an IBC, International Building Code, plan through City Hall. Um, and there are reasons for that in terms of complexity of the codes. Not all of that is, not all of the delay is explained by the relative complexity. So there's some problems at City Hall, not a, not a big shock. So uh, developers are buying up all this land that could be providing six, seven, eight units of housing and building two. So on the, on the total, the, the MF2 property is in East Dallas, it's in North Dallas, it's all throughout the infill part of the city. And it was always intended by the city to become more dense. That was the sort of good decision they made in 1965. Um, but it's not turning out that way. And we're probably on a course to lose thousands of potential units if this continues. So I grabbed the definition of MF2 out of the development code and it says use is permitted. Uh, Multifamily, uh, boarding house, Blah, 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 blah. Duplex, single family. I redlined those and I sent it to Chad and to uh, some key members of the plan commission. I said, you know what? Let's just end this right now. And then the other thing that I think we're going to try to do to correct that specific issue, not that specific issue, but to correct development patterns in East Dallas and in the other urban infill areas that have this multifamily two zoning is an idea that I stole from our good friend Patrick Kennedy, which is pre-approved plan sets sitting down at City Hall in the building inspection and permitting office so that you walk in, you're like, I've got an R75 lot. They're all 7,500 square feet. Um, I would like a plan set that can be built and they hand you a plan set and you give that plan set that you didn't have to pay for to your builder who then builds it and 
Wow. Presumably, the inspection process is pretty fucking simple. Yeah. So I think if we do those two things, we go from having luxury duplex all throughout East Dallas and Oak Cliff and uh, Northwest Dallas and the other places where you're seeing luxury duplex pop up and you're just going to see that replaced with, well, with the new mixed income housing density bonuses, you're going to see it replaced with 9, 10, 11 units on a site. And this is one of those solutions where everybody makes money, but we get housing and all the money doesn't go to these elite developers who can shake the city down for big incentives on a 400 unit apartment complex. Yeah, In theory. Yeah, that would be a good thing. And since I'm one of those developers, I'm a little excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's some remunerative uh, yeah, <laughs> opportunities. Look, I think that the listeners want me to be comfortable and have reasonably good wine for you to drink when you're here. It's important. I mean, it's an important part of the yeah the feng shui of our, of our operation. <laughs> yeah, we want everybody in Dallas to be successful. We do. Part, we right? do. That's the dream, right? A rising tide lifts all. Un unlike the older leadership of Dallas, that this new young leadership on Loserville wants uh, black people and Latinos included. Yes. Maybe even Asians, who Which knows? Which is an important uh, yeah, turning point in the long history of, of uh, Dallas. <laughs> yeah. If only we were in charge of anything. Maybe one day. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I did that once. And we're it, not announcing the Philip Kingston for Mayor no, Exploratory no, Committee? Good Lord, no. Please God, no. <laughs> Um, let's pack it in for the week. Yeah, sounds good. I'm We're, excited about next week's episode. It we've got an extravaganza next week, and I mean, listen, you've gotten all the value you paid for. Correct. Yeah. There's no. Yeah. There's no money in it for us <laughs> yet. Yet. <laughs> We're in deep talks with advertisers. It's just a matter of time. 